Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis, transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right, soccer dude, rockin' America. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Soccer Noob Rockin' America featuring Person Noob. Hello! That's my co-host and nine-year-old daughter and we are going to mini-preview 10 of the most important matches from anywhere around the world. As we define that, and as you'll discover, that might be a bit different than any other podcast. We're going to try to give you matches that nobody else would, and a bunch that some will. United States matches, we're going to lean on those, and then we're going to spread out into our region and then cover a couple from anywhere across the globe. Top flight domestic league matches, international tournament matches from any and everywhere. A show truly like no other, especially once you consider our three crazy bonus matches and the silliness that is interlaced between everything. You're going to find us unique. Matches we're going to cover for this week's episode are from Friday, November 12th through Thursday the 18th. Let's kick things off with... Match number one! And we kick things off with a Friday match of tremendous importance. We're talking USA and Mexico in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. There are eight teams left in this qualifying stage. The top three get to go to the World Cup straight away. The number four finisher will get to play in what's called an intercontinental qualifying match with another sort of high finishing also ran from one of the other continental confederations. As things stand right now, Mexico lead the table by three. Uh, The U.S. are in second place, and they lead Canada in turn by one. Now, I almost can't get it out because I just can't believe what we've got. We have such a treat for you. We've had a couple of guests before very early in the tenure of this show, but never before have we actually had a professional playing guest. I can't believe we got one. Uh, So for this match, rather than me giving you a mini preview, we're going to turn to uh, U.S. men's national team star and co-starting goalkeeper, if you will, along with uh, Zach Steffen, Matt Turner. Yeah, I know. I, I understand he's going to be telling us all about the lead-up to this absolutely paramount game in which the U.S. could go atop the entire uh, World Cup qualifying table. I don't know what else to say other than the floor is, the floor is yours, sir. What can you tell us, Mr. Turner? My dearest beloved, My heart bursts with pride, serving on the back lines of the USMNT. For old glory, for my countrymen, in defense of the states. May I, your beloved Captain Matt Turner, make you as proud. General Berhalter was terse yet incisive. Report to Fort Cincinnati, at once. Chilling words, our southern enemy draws near. I'd had but moments to gather my boots and gloves, then made haste. We erected base camp on the loamy shores of the Great River, 
impeccable serenity. Tis shame this land will soon be tainted by war. Oh, and hark the news. General Polisic hath returned. His sheer presence has bolstered the men greatly. We have drank to his health and prosperity. I've concluded the final inspection of the stronghold's outermost defense. In awe of the formidable facade of this fortress, a queen's demeanor yet beguiling. If the marching orders hold true, and I am to be second in command of the rear guard, how am I to sit idly by, whilst my brother Zachary withstands surely a constant bombardment? Contrite. May his hands be staunch and guided this day. All is quiet. An apprehensive chill sweeps through the air. The men sense it, surely. The centermost confines of the fortress look glorious. I shudder at the thought of these pristine and formidable grounds laced with my brother's sweat and blood in a matter of minutes. We hear the shrill of mariachi. The battle is nigh. Gosh, I didn't dare cut him off, but I'm, I'm not quite sure what that was. Whatever it was, I have to be honest, I... I kind of hope we get to talk with him again. I mean, I, I wouldn't think that a goalie would be heading the ball so much that he'd be that confused. It, it sounded like he was dictating a missive to a loved one from some war. I'm not even sure which war. Civil? Revolutionary? I, I mean, the RKI's language was there, sure. I just don't know. I mean, I, I get the Queen reference. That's Cincinnati, the Queen City, and Mariachi, Mexico. Are we being punked by editor, producer, the management? Was that even Matt Turner? Hello, the management. Hello. Match number B. Thank you for reminding us, as always, person noob, daughter dearest, that in fact, the phrase number two, ugh, bathroom talk, new bites. Join us in a revolution and replace that phrase with number B. And your match number B is a Saturday match, the first of many. And it comes to us from the third division of American soccer, USL League One, and they are in their semifinals. How did we get to this point? Well, the top six teams from the regular season made the playoffs. The top two seeds got to go straight on through to the semifinals. And the one that we're going to look at is number B, Greenville Triumph out of South Carolina, versus number three, Chattanooga Red Wolves. Uh, Greenville finished just one point ahead of them for that second bye into the semifinals. They ended up with draws three of the four times that they played this year. The only win that happened, Greenville did win one of the two matches. They hosted 1-0. The winner of this in the final is going to get to play probably Union Omaha or FC Tucson. My thoughts on who's going to win this, I would subtitle this mini-match preview, Destiny Awaits. Explanation momentarily. Let's talk about Greenville first. The club was founded just three years ago, and they are the official, technically, champions. They were declared playoff champions last year after the final with Omaha Union got canceled. A bunch of the players and I think coaching staff as well, uh, all for Omaha ended up with COVID. And uh, since 
Greenville had the better record in the regular season. They officially made them championships. I think both those teams are going to get to face off in the actual final this year. Greenville finished five behind Omaha, by the way. This year, statistically, uh, pretty well balanced. They've got an above-average offense. The defense is even better. They're uh, tied for number B statistically in their regard, and they've got the third-best goal differential going. Second-best league-leading scorer is theirs. Uh, we talked about him once before on the cast. Uh, Marios, with an S on the end. Lomas, he is a Dutch forward, so there's a pretty good chance. I'm butchering both the first and the last name. And their all-around best player is Aaron Walker. He's an American veteran, 31 years old. I'm always still surprised to see players of that age playing in a league like League One down that far in the pyramid. I sort of thought it would be uh, college age or just beyond kids, but that's the fourth level, uh, the uh, USL League Two. In any case, uh, he's got five goals, three assists. He's not much for actually getting the assists. I'm not surprised it's only three. He's not real accurate with his crosses, but overall, he is a very good facilitator, has a good percentage in completing his passes. But the hottest player they have going, who is a tremendous crosser and helps on the defensive side with tackling, real box-to-box guy, is 22-year-old American midfielder Alan Gavilanes. As far as the team's current form, they are unbeaten in their last nine, nine, and they have not conceded a goal at all in their last five matches. So facing all that and coming to town, Chattanooga Red Wolves, they were also founded just three years ago. Last year, they finished in fifth place in the league's regular season, so didn't make the playoffs. Very well balanced as well, statistically. Third best offense. They're also, they're the team that uh, the other one is tied for on defense at number B statistically and have the second best goal differential as well. They spread their scoring around quite a bit, which does make them hard to stop. That said, the best guy they've got going tied for number seven in league scoring is Juan Galindres. He is a Colombian forward. Mexican fans of the sport might recognize his name, but you've got to be real serious about how much you follow it because he did not play for a Liga MX team, but he did a couple of stops to go spend at least one season with Dorados de Sinaloa in Mexico's Division II, which they currently call uh, the Liga, Liga MX de Expansión. Number one on assists in the entire league, Ricky Ruiz. Uh, he's another box-to-box guy. Uh, plays some winger, but mostly fullback. Really gets back and forth. But their all-around best player, Jonathan Ricketts, one of their defenders, but also gets up and down the field quite a bit because he's got four goals and four assists on the year. He is excellent at open space. Very good percentage of success on his dribbling. Also a very good tackler. He can't be a great defender without being able to do that. But when he gets forward, his shooting accuracy is one of the best ones I've ever seen, particularly from a defender. And it's all surprising from a guy this young. And in fact, this is just his second season, I believe, playing pro ball. This is the only team he's ever been with. As far as the team's current form, they are 1-1-2 and two in their last three. So they ended on a couple of little hiccups heading into the playoffs, but they did win their quarterfinal matchup, of course, that was against North Texas, and they won 2-1. to one. Match number three. We remain on Saturday for the calendar, and in the United States for another playoff match. This time we're moving up a division to the USL Championship, where they are also having their playoffs right now. They're in the quarterfinal round. Give you an idea of how this is broken down. Well, there's Eastern and Western Conferences in the USL Championship, and each of those conferences 
breaks down into two divisions. The top four teams from each of the four divisions made the playoffs. Pretty cut and dry. The matchup we're going to look at is two teams from out of the Pacific Division out west. It is number B in the table, Orange County, taking on number four, Oakland Roots. And the winner's going to get one of two teams from the Mountain Division, either San Antonio or Rio Grande Valley. And this year, uh, they mostly play within their own division. They don't go outside it a whole lot. So they played four times. And amazingly, despite finishing below them in the table, Oakland won all of them with something like a seven or eight to one goal differential. Really just quite impressive. I know that Orange County only ever scored one goal on them. So the question becomes, should we bet on the roots? Make some quid. Well, here at Team Noob, we take no chances. For sure guidance, we make contact with our 35 hundred-year-old soothsayer for a drug-addled vision every week that should give us a sure result for the coming match. Noobstradamus, yes, take it away, toucher of the universal infinite. Okay, that's never happened before. Usually we get really good reception out of him from the Thracian Plains of Greece. Well, although if, I guess sometimes he goes to where the match is, and if he went to Irvine, California, uh, I suppose he could be hanging out between a couple of buildings. I really never warned him about that possibility. Just may not be getting a good signal. Sorry, everybody. Match number four. Another Saturday match for number four. We head off to Europe in UEFA. They are also in the World Cup qualifying group stage. Every one of the national teams either has one or two matches to go in this process. A reminder that the winners of each of the 10 groups are going to get to go straight to the World Cup and that the six best runners-up finishers will get to advance to one more qualifying round. Let's take a look at the table from which we're going to be getting the match that we're going to focus on. This is the one where France is leading. They've played six of their eight matches. They've got 12 points. They haven't lost. They're almost certainly going to be the ones that win the group, and at the very least, they cannot finish worse than second place. In second place, with a very strange record, 1-6-0, so almost all draws in their seven matches, they've played one more match than uh, many of the other teams, is Ukraine. And then the match we're going to be looking at, number four, Bosnia and Herzegovina, taking on number three, Finland. Uh, they are at seven and eight points, respectively. So either one of them is in a good position with their match in hand as they play their seventh one to uh, tie or pass Ukraine. I don't think that Ukraine is uh, any sort of a shoe in for getting in in the number B position. The series, at least recently, has just been 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Things are pretty even between these two. They did play earlier, of course, this group stage iteration, and Finland managed a 2-2 draw. was all at home. You can catch this one 9 o'clock in the morning Eastern time on ESPN3, which I believe would mean online or on TUDN if you want Spanish language broadcast. My thoughts on this one, well, what's one more draw between friends? Because while it is Ukraine that have six, Bosnia-Herzegovina, the reason that they're in last is they are 1-4-1, and one, and even Finland is 2-2-2. Two, two, two. So it seems like everybody's playing things very close to the best. 
Let's see if you come to the same conclusion or not that another draw is on the way. We'll look at the hosts first, Bosnia and Herzegovina. They are known as the dragons or the one I like better, the golden lilies, just because the latter one stretches back into history. Uh, the golden lily was a symbol of the uh, Kotromanich dynasty in the 13th century in that region. As far as the footy, 2014, the only World Cup appearance they made was then, at least since independence for uh, B&H, and they did not advance uh, past the first stage. In fact, as an independent country, they've never even qualified for the European Championships. 2021 Nations League, that fairly new international tournament in Europe, didn't go so well for them either. They went winless in that earlier this year. UEFA ranks them the uh, 31st best men's national team, so a little bit below average overall. And uh, they're the fourth-seeded team in the group. They're not somebody who should be in the mix, but here they are. FIFA ranks them number 55 in the world, by the way. And they've got an 8-7 and seven goal differential, so the defense has been a little bit of an issue. But that said, the overall goal differential is right there uh, with the other teams that are not named France. Players to look for in this one, particularly if you're watching. Uh, one of their best event scorers has been Pirilem uh, Pjanic, if I'm getting right. He's a midfielder, plays for the Turkish League One team Besiktas right now, although he's on loan from Barcelona. And come to think of it, as broke as Barcelona is right now and selling off everyone, I'm sort of surprised they haven't called this guy back from loan because he's got quite the resume, very express, uh, experienced. He's, uh, he's done time with... Uh, Roma and Juventus over in Italy, Serie A, and Lyon over in France's League One. He's not a particularly big, fast, or strong guy. Not, not overall a world-class athlete, to be perfectly honest, but he's very technical with the ball, very sound when it comes to his uh, dribbling and handling, and he plays all over the field. He's just got endless stamina, and he's also a set-piece wizard. If they're kicking in the ball, trying to cross it in for a header, he is the guy that's going to be kicking it in, I guarantee Another uh, leading event score for them has been Smail, and I'm less sure of this last name. I'm going to pronounce it uh, Prevliak, but even the V might be a double uh, W sound, which might mean Prevliak or something. In any case, he is a forward who plays for the Belgian top flight side, Eupen. Not one of their better ones, but still a top flight side in a pretty darn, darn good European league. 2015 through 20, he spent all those years with RB Salzburg over in Austria. Another uh, league, and it's getting better, in fact, on their eyes. But to be fair, he was usually out on loan with them. But their best all-around player, in my opinion, is a guy who's playing for uh, in the Swiss top league for a team that's usually in the second division called Survey, Miroslav Stavanovic. He's their right winger. Uh, two goals and six assists in league play so far, the very young year for them, and he is outstanding in open space. If they don't get cluttered up, Stavanovic is always going to be one of their leaders. The team's current form, they are 1-2-0 in their last three. And now, Paying them a visit, the eagle owls of Finland. Yes, a hyphenated bird, and it is an actual bird, or it might even be a whole family of birds. I'm not quite sure. They've never been to the World Cup. They just made the Europe, uh, European Championships for the first time, this last iteration, in fact, but they did not advance past the first stage. In the Nations League in 2021, uh, they finished number B in their group. Uh, that's not good enough to put them up to Division A, but it shows that they're really climbing towards being a mainstay of the second tier sort of in Europe. That uh, Speaking of Europe, they're ranked number 30, so a little bit better, I believe, than uh, Bazi and Herzegovina, and number 54 by FIFA. 
standards, and they are the third seeded group in this one. So they should be right there. If I had to pick one or the other, I would say Finland is the one that will be there at the end battling with Ukraine. But I still think this match is going to be a draw. Uh, they've got a seven and seven goal differential, a little bit more offense, I think, is all it's going to take uh, for them to easily keep pace with Ukraine. And when that happens, if it happens, it's certainly going to be at the feet of the only guy you need to know on the on the Finnish team, and that is Timu Puki. Uh, he has got six goals already on the year for Norwich City. He has easily been their star for many years. Now, unlike with Bosnia and Herzegovina, we actually have some uh, USA connections with this one. Talk about a couple of those players uh, to look for. Nico uh, Hamlinainen, he's a left back who currently plays for the LA Galaxy. In fact, he's U.S. born, but as you might guess based on the last name, uh, he has a Finnish father, and that's why he qualifies to play for them. Uh Queen's Park Rangers, a pretty good, if not great, second-level team over in England, has had the rights to him his entire career, yet they've almost always loaned him out. Uh, a couple more USA connections. Both these guys play for Minnesota United. We have a defender named, I'm not sure if it's Jucka or Yucca Raitala. Uh, he's also uh, spent some time with Montreal and Columbus Crew at MLS. And then one more guy, midfielder Robin Lord, again with Minnesota United. He plays for Sporting Gijon which I'm suddenly realizing I can't remember if he is, uh, I think they're in the second league over in the Spain, but at the very least, if they're not, they've done some time up in La Liga at the top flight there. And they are 1-0-2 in their last three matches. Match number five. This is the last of our Saturday matches, and we head closer to home. We're coming back to CONCACAF to take a look at a key match out of Panama, their Liga Nacional. They're in the Clausura stage. Just a quick reminder for our newer listeners or newer fans of the sport. More specifically, most Latin American countries, most years, divide their soccer year into two separate seasons or stages. The Apertura or opening and the Clausura or closing. And never the twain shall meet. They're completely separate entities, basically. In any case, as I mentioned, they're in the Clausura, and there are only two matches left in this stage season. Now, uh, the best three teams overall for this entire year are going to get to go to the CONCACAF League. Note that it's not the CONCACAF Champions League. This is a secondary tournament out of which the top six teams will qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League. Nobody from this country or any of the Latin American countries gets to go straight through to the CCL. They got to go to the CL first. As far as the domestic playoffs, the top three clubs from each of the two divisions in Panama are going to get to go to the playoffs. The top two will advance straight through to the semifinals. Your matchup. Out of the much stronger Eastern Division, number B, Alianza versus number one, Toro. These are the overall top two teams in points in the table between both divisions as well. Right now, Toro lead by three. So if they are able to get any kind of result, even one point in this match, they're going to walk away with the Clausura title. And then, to be honest, that's probably pretty likely. Although that said, at Toro earlier this stage, Alianza held them to a nil-nil draw. My thoughts on who's going to win this, I would subtitle it, No Bull, Bulls. Again, explanation coming shortly. Alianza, they are not the Bulls. They're the far less intimidating, but more colorful, perhaps, parakeets. Uh, Los Pericos, I believe is the Spanish word. In any case, they play out of the capital, Panama City. They have never won a league title. This is a big deal that they're even flirting with one. 
In the Apertura stage for this season, uh, in the East, they finished second worst overall, in fact. Uh, but they have turned it around, particularly on defense. The offense still has some ways to go. They're a little bit below average there. But they've barely been giving up more than a goal on average every other game here in uh, the Clausura stage. Just phenomenal. That's been good for a slightly above average overall number three goal differential in the Eastern Division. Key player for them on what offense they do get, and maybe this is why they don't get quite as much as they might like. Uh, talk about Long in the soccer tooth. He's an attacker, 41 years old. He spent his entire pro career since 2010. Cesar Medina is who they count on. As far as the team's current form, they are 2-0-1 in their three last three matches, and as you would imagine, they've all been very low-scoring matches. Now, Taro, T-A-U-R-O, but they are known as Los Toros, the Bulls, and they are your historical favorite. Now, they're uh, founded a little bit more recently historically in the 1980s, uh, 84 or 86, if memory serves. Uh, they play out of the Pedregal district, which is not in Panama City proper, but it's just east of there. So effectively, they're one of the three uh, Panama City teams. Uh, to tell you how uh, unusual it is for Alianza to be in this rarefied air, of the three teams in Panama City, the matches that are called uh, El Clasicos are the ones between Toro and Plaza Amador. That's the actual other really good, usually, Panama City team. So good luck to Alianza on this one, even though I think they're biting off more than they can chew at this point. Taro, 13 league titles in their moderately brief existence. That's the most in the nation's history, although they haven't done it in a few years. 2017 Clausura stage was their last trophy. They have been to the CONCACAF Champions League a half a dozen times, most recently, of course, 2018, following that 2017 Clausura title, and that was the best they've ever done. They got all the way to the quarterfinals. Last stage in the Apertura, they didn't do nearly as well as normally. They only finished number four in the East, below average. The offense was a real problem, so they have turned it around in that regard. Uh, right now in this stage, they've got both the number one offense and defense. They also only let in about a goal on average every other match. This could be a really low-scoring affair, although if Toro's able to get more than one, you'll probably be able to thank their leading scorer, Ismael Diaz. He's only 24 years old, an attacker. And this is a guy with a little bit of European experience. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him uh, back there eventually instead of making a career run here like his high-scoring opponent for the other team because he's already done time with uh, Porto, uh, not their senior team, but that's one of the best teams in Portugal, but Porto too, their secondary team that probably plays in the second or third best league over there. Same thing, uh, he's also been with uh, Deportivo La Coruña, uh, their number two team. The, their top flight is the number three division in Spain, so I'm not sure how far down their reserve side plays, but he's been with both of them. And as far as the team's current form, they are 3-1-0 and oh in their last four. I'm not perfectly fluent in feline, but I believe that sounder means that the kiddies want to know just what happened to the matches from last week's episode. Let's give them a recap. Match number one was a Friday match from the AFC Cup. It was the final. Muharak from Bahrain, who were playing host to Nasaf Parshi from Uzbekistan in the secondary Asian tournament title match. And much to my surprise, it was Muharak coming up on top. 3-0 Saturday match number B was from the USL Championship Conference 
quarterfinals where we had Phoenix taking on Rio Grande Valley. And I'm proud to say this just as I called it, the upset alert, it was RGV coming out on top. It went to 3-3 in a shootout after regular time, and then they won 3-4 on penalty kicks. Match number three was from the next division down, USL's League One, also in their qualifiers or rather quarterfinal stage, number three, FC Tucson took on number six, Richmond Kickers, and the result was a 1-0 win for Tucson, so they advanced. Match number four was from Europe, Latvia's higher league, their top flight, where number three, Riga FC, took on number B, uh, Valmyra FC, and it was a 0-0 draw, and that means that RFS win the league, and that dropped Riga all the way down to fourth place, and I believe out of any European competition for next year, sadly for them. Match number five, South Korea's K-League 1, the top flight there. It was number one, Jean-Buc FC, taking on number B, Ulsan Hyundai, and it was the host team, Jean-Buc, winning 3-2. to two. Ilyachenko got the game winner in the 95th minute, the fifth minute of uh, injury time. Excellent for him. Sunday, match number six from the NWSL playoffs. Number four, Chicago Red Stars took on number five, New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. And the result was Chicago 1-0. Gal, we said, might be the woman of the match, and I believe was. Mallory Pugh had the lone goal. Match number seven. Decision day for Major League Soccer, the last match round of the regular season, deciding who was going to be in the playoffs and who didn't want to go there. Number eight, and just outside the playoff picture, Montreal took on number six, Orlando, and it was the visitors. Orlando coming out on top, nil two, no change in the table position, which meant that Montreal was the first team in the Eastern Conference out, and Orlando got to get in. Tuesday, match number eight from Honduras's Liga Nacional, where they're in the Apertura stage. It was number B, Real España, taking on number one, CD Vida, and the result was Real España winning 2-1, to one. and congratulations to them. That means that they are the league titleists. Thursday, match number nine from UEFA, UEFA World Cup qualifying in the group stage, number four, Armenia. What I thought would be a very competitive match took on number three, North Macedonia, and it was the visitors. I called this at a nil-nil draw. Well, it was half right, sort of. North Macedonia won nil five in a match. Maybe we should have made it the route of the week candidate. Guy we said to look for the box score. Enos Bardhai had a hat trick, although two of them were penalties. They still count the same. And North Macedonia jumped Romania to number B in the table, which if they can hang on to that, would actually allow them to advance to the last qualifying round for the World Cup. Match number 10, more World Cup qualifying, this time from Africa. We had number one in the table, uh, upstart Tanzania taking on powers number three, uh, DR Congo. It is the Democratic Republic of Congo reasserting themselves and winning nil three. That moves them up into second place in the table with one match to go, which they're going to get to play against group leaders Benin, who are ahead of them by two, which, of course, then means that Tanzania are now mathematically out of it. And then our bonus matches. The first was the route of the week. Sunday match that you voted on. Uh, Burkina Faso Premier League gave us number 15, RC Bobo Diolasso, taking on number one, Salitas, and just like I called it, for the first time, I actually didn't predict the favorites to win in the route of the week. And sure enough, Boba Diolasso won 2-1. Two to one. That moves them all the way up to 11th place out of 16 and knocks Salidas out of the top spot down into second. Then your most meaningless match in the world from Austria's Bundesliga, where number eight, Admira Mudling, took on number nine, Reit, and the result was a 1-2 win for Neat. Uh, for Admira, 
uh, Marlon Mustafa had the opening goal guy we said to look for. And then for the other side, another player we thought might be the man in the match, Philip Palmer had the assist on the tying goal. And then finally, your match of disappointing was the Saturday match from Lithuania's A-Liga, where number nine, uh, Banga, took on number 10, Nevija, and the result was in typical match of disappointing fashion. This seems to happen a lot. It got postponed, and we don't have a makeup date. With any luck, we won't have to watch the least... We won't ever have to watch or hear about these two uh, last and second to last place teams ever again. That concludes our recap from last week's episode matches. Now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's games with... Match number six. And now the first of just two Sunday matches to have made our cut. We're going to come over to the NWSL, the women's top flight here in America, where they're in the playoffs, specifically the semifinal stage. Here's how we got there. The top six teams made the playoffs. The top two got to go straight to the semifinals, just like in the USL League One. And your matchup, just like in that match, it's a number B versus number three. Number B, OL Reign, used to be Seattle, but now Olympic Lyonnais over in France. Their ownership bought them and have changed it to that name, and they are taking on number three, Washington Spirit. Uh, the Rain finished three points ahead of Washington in the regular season and have had the best of it in their overall or at least most recent uh, series of games. Uh, the Rain have a 9-4-4 four, and four record against the Spirit. Uh, this year, it's been uh, Washington 0-2, the Rain 0-3, and Washington 0-1. The Road teams have always won it, which is why my thoughts on who's going to win this match are uh, kind of to take the words from Willie Nelson. On the road again, just can't wait to be on the road again. I think the Spirit are going to take it. The winners are going to get to uh, face off against either Portland or Chicago Red Stars in the final. We'll take a look at the host team first, the Rain. Uh, despite having been Seattle, they are actually playing out of Tacoma, which I believe is at least 30 miles away. They have never won uh, the regular season a title. They were the league runners-up in 2014 and in 2015. This year, statistically, defense good, offense excellent. This is a little bit more defensive, uh, defensively oriented league this year. Uh, they have managed to lead it, scoring exactly one and a half goals per match, have the second best goal differential in the league. She used to be the league leader. I've seen a bunch of switches on this over uh, all the matches this year. Tied for, uh, She is now just tied for number B in league scoring. Bethany Balser plays forward for them. And then tied for number one in assists in the league is Sofia Huerta, midfielder. Side note about her, uh, she's born in Boise, uh, but she's got either a She's got some sort of parental lineage uh, to Mexico and, in fact, originally started her international play with Mexico before making a one-time switch over to the USWMT. And she is, I believe, the only female to ever play for the senior team for both. But their all-around best player actually might be Jessica Fishlock. She is a 34-year-old center midfielder from Wales. Uh, five goals, four assists on the air. Uh, she is equally comfortable, it would seem, playing both attacking and defensive midfielder. She's probably a little bit stronger on defensive midfielder. Her best stat is her tackling rate. As far as the team's current form, they are 7-2-1 and one in the last half of the regular season. And that one, well, that was their 0-2 loss at home to Washington just two matches ago. And now we'll talk about the spirit. Their best year was 2015. They were both the regular season 
and playoff runners-up. So Washington has never won the overall title either. This year, the defense isn't really helping them all that much in that regard. They're very average, but they've got uh, time for the third-best offense in the league. And your new league-leading scorer, and she won the Golden Boot for the regular season, Ashley Hatch, the place forward for them. Also tied for number one in assists, rookie of the year, I believe, Trinity Rodman. And yes, if that name rings a bell, she is the daughter of former Chicago Bulls star Dennis Rodman. 19-year-old forward. Their goalie is also very good. Uh, Third best overall in clean sheets on the year is Audrey Bledsoe. As far as the team's current form, five straight wins, and they are unbeaten in their last seven. They advanced here to the semifinal with 1-0 win over the always tough North Carolina Courage. They have not conceded a goal in their last three matches. This very well may be, if you like defense in particular, the best match in the entire world going this week. Match number seven. And your other Sunday match comes to us from the CAF. That's the African Confederation of Football. They're in their World Cup qualifying group stage as well. All the surviving teams have been divided up into groups of four. The winners are going to advance to the last qualifying round before the World Cup. Everybody else will go home. Pretty simple. My thoughts on this one? (laughs) None. I wouldn't bet on this one nearly even if you put a gun to my head. It's going to be a whale of a match. Ghana were your favorites when things started out according to the ranking, but currently they are in the number B position, taking on number one in your group G table, South Africa. And uh, the table looks like this. South Africa lead Ghana by two after four of the six matches. Ethiopia, Zimbabwe, the other two, uh, they're way, way back, not even worth uh, considering mathematically. When these two play, it will be the last match but they will play their round five matches before this round six match between the time I scouted it and the time you're hearing this. So who knows by the time you're catching the South Africa may have already wrapped up the group. Probably not in any case, South Africa has had the best of it in their series, just barely in recent years, three, two and two. And in this double round Robin group stage, South Africa won the first game at home one to nil. You can watch this one live two o'clock in the afternoon online on ESPN plus. First, let's talk about the Black Stars. That's the nickname for Ghana, the number seven team in Africa, rated number 50 worldwide by FIFA. They have made three World Cup, uh, World Cup appearances before, uh, 2006, 10, and 14 consecutively. 2010 was their best result. They got as far as the quarterfinals. This year in the group stage, they've been solid, 3-0-1 with a 5-2 goal differential. All-around best player for them, Gideon Mensah. You'll usually find him playing more defense than out in left back. It's not uncommon for him to start in the left side of the midfield as well. Just 23 years old, and European footy fans have a pretty good chance of knowing him. Uh, The Austrian uh, giants, RB Salzburg, have his rights, but this year they've loaned him out to a uh, mediocre, maybe a best, but still it's stronger league by at least a little bit. Uh, France's League One, he plays for Bordeaux. Statistically, this guy is a real anomaly. He needs to be playing more left back than left midfield. 91% pass rate. That can help get the ball moving on counters or just get it out of danger. But boy, you want him on that uh, that back line. A 75% success rate on tackles is just about unheard of in the year and change that I've been looking at these sort of stats. He's amazing back there. And we have a USA connection. To the best of my knowledge, he's not closely related. It may just be a common last name from that part of the world. Jonathan 
Mensah. He plays for the defender for the Columbus Crew, and he's going to be vital for them. He's got the most experience, the most international caps at his position. He has made over 60 starts uh, for the Ghanaian national team. Their current form, they are 2-0-1 in their last three. And now South, Af- South Africa trying to pull the mild upset, nicknamed Bafana Bafana, Famously, which translates from Zulu to the boys, or more specifically in some context, and I hadn't known this, it sort of means go boys, like a cheer, and the double use of the word Bafana, because you could do it just once, the double use is thought to emphasize uh, something uh, linguistically called Ubuntu over there, which is sort of a all-inclusiveness. So the cheer is not just for the team, it's for the management, the fans, it's everyone encouraging everyone. Kind of a cool concept. They're rated number 13 in Africa, number 70 worldwide by FIFA. They also have made just uh, three World World Cup appearances. Most recent one was 2010. They've never been past the group stage. They're undefeated in the group stage this year, 3-1-0, and they have a goal differential of 5-4-1 against all-around best player for them is another box-to-box guy, Thapolo Moreno. He plays right back and right midfield, so he won't be going toe-to-toe with that other great player on the other team necessarily. But he plays for Mamelodi Sundowns, which is usually one of the best uh, leagues, best teams in the top-flight league in South Africa. The team's current form, this is where it gets really interesting and intimidating. They're 10-3-0 in their last 13 matches. That's like 18 months nearly. And that one goal that they gave up in the group stage, yeah, that's the only goal that they have given up in their last 10 matches. Match number eight. After a weekend like that, you get Monday off new bites. We flip forward to Tuesday for match number eight. We're going to the knockout tournament that is the English FA Cup. They are now in what is called the event proper. For months and months, they've been playing their qualifying rounds, but now the event proper basically means the teams from the top four or five leagues have now started to enter the fray. Truly uh, professional teams from all professional leagues. Now, last week they actually played the first round of the matches. They all happen on one day for the most part. But as happens in the qualifying rounds, every pair of teams that happens to play to a draw, they don't go to penalty kicks. They say, okay, you're going to play next week on the off week in between because the main rounds are every other week. And the two of you will play, but you're going to switch the home and away. Last week, Gateshead played host to Alternum. They are from the sixth and fifth levels of the English uh, pyramid, respectively. They played to a 2-2 draw, so this time Alternum gets to play host. And I'll be curious to see how it turns out, but that's all we're going to say about the match because, as we always do with match number eight, we are going to talk about food, although this time you don't get a recipe. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, I believe, I talked about a recipe from uh, Crazy Pedro's or something Pedro's in Manchester for pizza. And Altrinum, I always use the uh, home team's locale, is a pretty small uh, town or even large village on the very outskirts of the greater Manchester area. I I think some people might call it equal part of uh, Cheshire, in fact. But regardless, I couldn't find a real specific recipe for the area, but what I did find, if I'm very much my surprise, feel free to fast forward to match number nine if you want, because this is almost going to sound fake, but it's real. I found a carrot named after the area. It's the Altrinum carrot. It was very popular in the early 1800s. It's probably, a, for those of you who are gardening fanatics, it is probably a variant of the long orange Belgian variety. Uh, there's also a closely related one, more contemporary, called a Manchester table carrot. Uh, it's uh, usually found, it was usually found as red-rooted, but sometimes as orange-rooted, often with a green count, crown, but sometimes a very 
purple crown, which quite frankly would freak me out for a carrot for some reason. But the one thing that always seems to be standard with this variety is the length, the standard, not the longer than average ones, 14 to 20 inches long. And while yes, they are very, very narrow at the bottom, these are not slender celery sticks of carrots, if you will. These suckers are very commonly one to two pounds each, and it was nothing for them to be up to five pounds in total weight. As often happens with large vegetables, it's a very mild one flavor-wise, uh, crisp, sweet, uh, it was very popular uh, back when people were largely just growing their own, but it, it was a very difficult vegetable to crop uh, in tracks of very large sizes, uh, you know, just because of the length. So it actually largely disappeared from England. It did make a little bit of a comeback during World War II. It was still found in a lot of homegrown gardens. And as food prices rose during the war, it became very, very common for people to have to supplement their own table because they couldn't afford what little food there was at the marketplace. There had been a lot of bad harvest in England, and then in trying to get food over there, well, the Germans had subs who would attack the merchant ships that were on their way to England. So this giant, weird-looking, sometimes purple-top carrot made a comeback. But once World War II was done, it largely disappeared other than from hobby gardens pretty much entirely. Uh, that said, it did maintain its popularity a little while longer in France, where it was known as, uh, I don't know if you would pronounce it, Carat or Carot Rouge Long d'Altranum. And I don't know how many varieties you could possibly look at historically to even compare it to. But what I read on the Online Carrot Museum, one of the three sites I found referencing this carrot, is that it is the only carrot that came over from England to France to, uh, to gain uh, nationwide use and acclaim. So it was very popular over there for a good while longer. That said, you just about can't find it now. Maybe some closely related relatives in hobby gardens, but basically there are only 42 known packets of seeds left of this particular carrot type, and they are held in Warwickshire at the Heritage Seed Bank, which was one of those places that basically freezes stuff and uh, keeps it locked down in case it ever needs to be uh, reintroduced to the environment after some sort of, oh, I don't know, climate change apocalypse. Yeah, carrots. You're welcome. Match number nine. Our other Tuesday match is going to be sort of a victory lap for one of the two teams. And by the way, I do promise we're going to talk about soccer, not carrots or any other vegetables for this one. The Canadian Premier League. Uh, these two teams are about to play their last match. Most or all of the other teams have already played their last match. It's number one, Forge FC, taking on number B, Cavalry FC. But they're separated by three points in the table, but Forge also lead by 13 on goal differential. So for Calvary to win the regular season title, they've got to win this match, I believe, by seven points. If my very poor math skills are at all coming into play. Now, the top four finishes are going to make the playoffs. So this is an important uh, game in that regard for Cavalry because they lead number three Pacific FC by only two. So... They need to get a result of some kind to have a chance at uh, potentially retaining their uh, number B seed, if you will, for the playoffs. Now, the winner of this league goes to the CONCACAF League, not the CONCACAF Champions League. It's just like we talked before for the Central American countries, including uh, Panama, which was the one we covered a match from before. With this league, I am not 100% sure that it's the regular season champions that get to go. It is in virtually every other instance I've ever found when it comes to stuff like this. But I think in Canada, it might be the playoff tournament winners. 
regardless, it's going to be a game that's going to be very, very competitive and very, very exciting, especially for Calvary. The overall series between these two, Forge have had the best of it. They've got a 7-2-4 and four record. This year, the road teams have won the two times. Uh, most recently, Cavalry beat them 1-2 at Forge, but Forge won the first matchup 0-2. You can catch this one, the tiebreaker, if you will, at 6 p.m. on Fox Soccer Plus. First, we'll talk about the Hammers that are Forge FC out of Hamilton, Ontario, which is a city of about a half a million as you might guess, given the name, it's not just a play on Hamilton. This is an area known for its very, very heavy industry economically. They have made three CONCACAF League appearances in the past. In fact, they're in the CONCACAF League right now. They're about to face uh, one of the Honduran giants, Matagua, in the semifinals of that event. This is just their third season, yet they are the two-time defending league champions. Statistically excellent, second-best offense in the league at one-and-a-half goals per game on the dot. Number one defense. They don't even let a goal on average every every other match. Another scoring leaderboard, we've talked about him before. Born in the United Arab Emirates, but repping for Canada internationally is Moham Babouli. Uh, He repped Canada at the U23 level. I don't think he's ever actually uh, made any appearances for their senior team. And MLS fans, yes, he played for Toronto FC uh, in the uh, 2016-2017 season. Also key to watch for them, tied for number three in assists, is Tristan Borgia. He's an attacking midfielder, 23 years old. And uh, Canadian fans will know his name well. He was the MVP of this league back in 2019. He went over briefly to a... I believe a Belgian club might be Dutch. I get it confused. O.H. Leuven last year. He didn't make many appearances for them, and then they loaned him back. So that's why he's with them again this year. And then on the goalkeeping side, uh, Tristan Henry is the second best one as far as clean sheets go statistically. This team's overall form, of late anyway, they have won four straight. They are unbeaten in six matches across all competitions, and they have a very astounding 12-3 and goal differential uh, during that four match winning streak. Next, Cavalry. They're from the, uh, I would say the greater Calgary area, but even that might be stretching it. Their official home is known as Foothills County. It's well south of the metro area. Their you know, political lines on a map might put them as part of Calgary, but I don't think their populations are even counted in that statistical region. In any case, this team had their, uh, had their great year in 2019. They won both the spring and fall regular seasons. They divided into two stages that year. Last year, they finished in third place. This year, The offense has been average at best, but the defense, one of the two best in the league. Good for the uh, overall number three goal differential in the lead. On the scoring leaderboard for the league, their best from Ireland, the Republic of, is Joe Mason. He's actually English-born, but reps for uh, the Republic of Ireland through parental lineage. His His longest career stop was over at Cardiff City. I don't think that he played for them when... They were in the Premier League. Much more likely he was with them during their more recent championship second division years. Same holds true for when he was with the best club he's probably ever played for. Wolverhampton, they are in the Premier League now, but were undoubtedly with the uh, championship league back then. He was with them from 2016 to 19. Uh, Spent some of that time loaned out to Colorado Rapids, though, over here at MLS. And he repped for Ireland at the youth levels in the national team. I don't think that he has done so for their senior team. Tied for number three in goalkeeping statistically, Marco Carducci. He came up with Vancouver, never made any senior apps for them, though. 
uh, senior apps for them, but he did play for their reserve side quite a bit. As far as the team's current form, they are 2-1-0 in their last three. As far as why I think they're not going to win, not only on their road, yes, this is a more important match for them than it really is for Forge, but Cavalry, just when they needed to be playing at their best, two matches ago, I said 2-1-0, they were 2-0-1, excuse me, and that one loss, they got walloped by, I believe, fourth or fifth place uh, Valor FC. I just don't think that they are all ready to truly compete with Forge for that top spot in the Canadian Premier League. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! And since we've already sort of done a U.S. Men's National Team match, to be honest, we're simply going to pass on doing a mini preview for their hosting of Jamaica on Tuesday in World Cup qualifying. As a family, we did some traveling this week. To be perfectly honest, time has simply run short. So just know that you can catch this one on Tuesday, 5 o'clock in the afternoon kickoff, Paramount Plus, or if you like the Spanish language broadcast, Univisio Now and Universo. Bring forth... The bonus matches! And this is our favorite part of the show, these three matches. They're different. They are shiny, and you got to vote on the content if you wanted. If you'd like to do so in the coming weeks, Soccer Noob USA is my handle on Twitter. I put up polls for each of the three candidate matches that will become clear shortly as I describe each of them. You vote. Matching content gets to happen our first match is a first versus last place matchup that we like to call the route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. And the one you selected is a Sunday match from Macau where their top flight is called the Liga de Elite. This is just the number 30 ranked league in the all of the AFC. Not too bad, but a little bit below average there. In fact, the winner doesn't even get to go to the Champions League. They qualify for a secondary tournament called the AFC Cup. On the other end, two of the teams are going to get relegated, as happens every year. And this is the last match round of the season. So things have largely been decided. Number one, CPK, is going to take on last place number 10, Hang Sai. CPK currently lead number B, Benfica de Macau, by nine. So they've already got the title wrapped up. And Hang Sai trailed number nine, Monte Carlo, by four. So they have no mathematical shot of climbing at all, let alone getting themselves out of the relegation zone. The one other time they played this year, CPK beat them nil eight. Woof. Let's talk about your victors in waiting first. The club was founded in 2008. They got promoted to the top flight after the 2012 season. They won their first and only league title in 2019, and unfortunately they still have yet to make their first international appearance, the 2020 AFC Cup. Because of COVID, they just decided to call that off entirely. I believe that the part of the uh, country that they are from is called Nasa Senhora de Fatima, which the information I was looking at was a little bit unclear. I believe is the name of a north central parish of Macau on the peninsula. Now, the reason I want to put an asterisk on that is that when the Portuguese uh, ceded legal control of Macau back to the Chinese in 1999, I want to say the uh, Portuguese parishes 
uh, political designations they put in place. The Chinese don't really recognize those, but the names might still stand nominally at least. In any case, give you some perspective, about a third of the peninsular population of the country lives there, 126,000 maybe. It's mostly land that's been reclaimed from the sea. It was very agricultural, but in more recent decades, almost half the nation's factories have been moved there or been built up there. They might play at a place called uh, the Canadrome, but uh, it was mostly known as a greyhound racing track. I believe it was well over 100 years old. It got closed down in 2018, but a bunch of space nearby that was used for soccer and other things, and I believe that that is where they play the matches. Last year, they finished in second place in the league. They tied Benfica de Macau in the table on points. Uh, Benfica won the title uh, just by being ahead by 18 on goal differential. Uh, This time, I guess they decided not to make it close. CPK finished with a perfect record, 17-0-0 so far, 112 goals for and just four goals against. Please, somebody move them over to the Chinese system. The Super League is getting soft anyway for financial reasons. They could probably make a run at it. As far as the team's current form, they uh, they won their last two matches by uh, a 21 to 1 margin, which might tell you everything else you need to know. Meanwhile, Hang Say, we'll still talk about them as the club was founded in 2008. They won Division Two in 2017, and so they got to Division One the next year for the first time. I think that they may play at the same physical area as uh, CPK does. Regardless, they are 2-2-13 and 13 on the year with a 12-56 and 56 goal differential. Worst offense in the league. It doesn't just wasn't uh, – it wasn't way far off, but it was the worst. The defense was a little bit – better as far as the ordinal rankings. There was one team that was worse. As far as the team's current form, uh, they just managed a 2-2 draw in their last match at number six, Policia. Who, so who knows? If CPK play all reserves from the start and Hang Seng feels hot, maybe we could get an upset. Normally, I predict a 4-0 or 0-4 win, depending whether it's home or away for the favorites. But in this case, to be perfectly honest, the match score is going to be CPK scoring however many they want to nil. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. (laughs) What other podcast out there in the landscape, I ask you, would bother to take the time and effort to shine a light on two teams perfectly equidistant from both the tops and the bottoms of their league. They're not going to get to go to international tournaments for glory, but they're not anywhere near in danger of being relegated either. Yes, the mat, the most meaningless match in the world. The one you voted on is a Saturday match from the Norwegian Top Sierran, or Top Sierran rather, which is the number 12 rated UEFA league for the women's side. And this is the last match of the season for this league. Number five, the ladies of Arna Bjornar are going to take on number six, Kobolten, in a match that doesn't mean a darn thing. The top four teams in this league are battling for a, a couple of spots in the Champions League, and these two teams haven't been anywhere close mathematically all season long. Really, no, neither has anybody else, quite frankly. Right now, uh, Arna Bjornar lead by one. Uh, over Cole Bolton and uh, both of these teams there's enough of a difference between uh, the teams above them and the team below them they're going to finish in fifth and sixth the only question is which team will finish in each of those two positions 
Arno Bjornar, AB, they've had a 6-1-4 and record in, re- in the recent series against Cole Bolton, but earlier this season, the only time they played, Cole Bolton actually won 1-0. Will Arno Bjornar, will AB be able to hold serve? They are from the town of Arna. Well, more specifically, I should say Burrow. The city they're from is Bergen, which is one of the three biggest in Norway. They're uh, geographically in the northeast part of the Bergen area. It's really interesting. Uh, as the very high-flying crow would fly, it's close to central Bergen, but it's very much separated. There's two mountains between this borough and the central part of Bergen. And if you drive, it is a long, long way around. There's no road that goes in between, uh, that goes under the mountains rather. Now there is a train tunnel, so you can get there pretty quickly. But if you go by car, it's going to take like an hour or something. Very strange. In any case, the borough's got about 13,000 people. They do also have a men's team within their club setup. That team plays all the way down in the third division, which is actually the fourth level of the Norwegian men's pyramid. This club was founded in 2000 when two much older clubs from each of the two towns that they're in their name merged. They've had some success, but they've never won any uh, league titles. Three times they finished in third place in the league. Uh, 2018 was the most recent. Last year, they were just in eighth place. So actually getting up into the most meaningless match as something of a promotion. Fifth best offense, but just the ninth best defense. Uh, team leading score for them is a very young girl, uh, just 18 years old, named Tora Ose or Osa, O-S-E. And she's primarily a defender, so kind of interesting sh- that she is the team's leading score. She just started her pro career a couple of years ago. Now, Cole Bolton, this is a, a small town or a large village of just 6,000 in the Oslo region, but not really the Oslo City Greater Metro. Club is an old one, founded in 1916. They have a men's team side as well, but it plays all the way down in the fifth level of the pyramid. This team does have some real history on their side because they've won the league title three different times, all within the 2000s. In 2006, they actually made the semifinal of what is now known as the Women's Champions League. It had a women's European Women's Cup name or something like that then, but it's the Champions League. Last year, they finished just in ninth place. So just like their opponents today, AB, this is a bit of a step up for them. Uh, seventh best offense, fourth best defense. Top goal scorer for them is Ingrid Kvernvolden, 23-year-old attacker, who probably wishes she was still with the club that she started out with, LSK Kvinner from this country. It's uh, They're a little bit down this year, but not as far down as these two, and uh, it's one of the traditional powers in the country. And while I couldn't readily find any information about them, I can at least tell you that we do have two USA connections. A couple of gals from the U.S. play for this team, Savannah Marie Francis. She is one of their defenders. They've got a midfielder named Megan Brandt. As far as the team's current form, they are 2-0-1 in their last three. But to be honest, I give the advantage to A.B. because those two wins that Cole Bolton had, they were against the bottom two teams in the entire league. And speaking of worst two teams, welcome now to our last match of this podcast episode, the match of Disappointed! Yes, we gave you a variety of sad sack bottom feeders facing off around the globe in the basement of their league's standings, and the one that you have voted on appropriately is a Monday match. The Chilean Premier Division 
provides us this, sadly. Uh, th- by the way, that is the number seven ranked league in all comma bowl, so it's below average. There's only three matches left in their season, and they're doing uh, one season this soccer year, not two stages like normal because of COVID. So they're doing a double around robin with the 17 clubs. Again, just three matches left. Two of the teams in this league are going to get relegated. One will have one last gasp and get to try to fight for their Primera División lives by playing with the third-place team from the second division in Chile. It was called a relegation playoff. And your matchup, hold your nose if you must, get a clothespin, is number 16, Huachapato, taking on number 17 in last place, Santiago Wanderers. The series of late has gone Huachapato's way with an 11-3-6 record, and they won the first matchup this year against uh, the Wanderers with a full 1-4 win on the road. Here's how the table looks. Huachapato lead the Wanderers by 12. So the Wanderers are going down, and that's just that, mathematically done. And they trail Universidad de Chile by only two on goal differential. And then there are three other teams that are only one point ahead in the standings. So dare we hold out a little bit of hope for a match of disappointed team being able to climb out entirely from the relegation zone. Probably not. Why? Well, I think I stepped in a whole bunch of dog huachapato when I was at my wife's aunt's place um, pretty recently. So no, I don't think it's going to go well for them at all. I'm not sure that that's really what that translates to at all. In any case, they're actually not known as the dog dude for a nickname. They are known as the Steelers, and they've got an incredibly similar logo to the NFL team. Pretty much copied it. They have played, uh, I, I read conflicting information from a town or area called Huachapato, but the town where their grounds are is Talcahuano. In any case, wherever they are, it's in the south part of the central zone in Chile, a city of over 150,000, an important port city uh, named for the steel industry of Huachapato. It's part of the greater Concepcion conurbation, if you're more familiar with that major metro area. And as a fun side note, it is said that a player from a local club in this area, but not this particular one, invented the bicycle kick, or as they call it, the Chilena, back in 1914. Now, I don't see how just about any place can say that they invented it, because I'm sure at some point prior to 1914 in the decades or years or centuries of people kicking around things, that at some point somebody had their feet slip out from under them, and they accidentally kicked the darn ball or tumbleweed or whatever they were playing with and got it in the goal. In any case, as far as the 42 league titles to their credit, one in 1974, the other one much more recently, 2012, the Clausura stage, and they have been to the Copa Libertadores, which is South America's Champions League two different times, never got past the group stage. 2015, we're trying to find good things here, even though it's a match of disappointment. 2015, they made the Copa, uh, Copa Sudamericana. That was the most recent visit to international play, uh, but they were out in the first round. And then their best uh, Sudamericana finish was the year before 2014. They actually made the round of 16. Last year, they finished in eighth place. This year, the statistics, however, tell the tale. Uh, They're way down in 14th on offense, 11th on defense, but things are packed pretty tightly in that regard. They've only got the 14th best goal differential overall of the 17. Uh, Their least bad, let's call him, all-around player has been Israel Pobleite, central midfielder. A couple goals, a couple assists on the season. Uh, Not really very good in open space, to be perfectly honest. I guess that's why they stick him in the middle, but he's got some skills, good passer, accurate crosser, and an excellent tackler. So he can play in that middle third pretty well. 
On the other side, we always like to try to find the worst player of all the starters on any given team, and that is definitely somebody they find in goal, Gabriel Castellon. Get it together, man. Interestingly, he was with Santiago Wanderers through 2018, said, I'm leaving you guys for a better club, and made it to the second worst one. Uh, Way to go, I guess. He's uh, made 22 starts and has only six clean sheets. Uh, That all said, this team's form... I almost feel like I should whisper it because I don't want to jinx it. They're unbeaten in their last four matches. They won their last two low scoring affairs, but they didn't give up a goal in either of them. Now that said, I looked at the player ratings and it's not the goalkeeper that's been playing with the darn. He's still just not been playing well. It's their back line of four. They traditionally play. That's actually been uh, less than completely horrible of late. And speaking of completely horrible, let's talk about Santiago. They are known as, The cockatiels. That's problematic. That's a bird from Australia. And uh, there's a bad joke to be made here, but we, with Person Uber, we try to keep this PG-13. Let's just say that the cockatiel is the smallest of that family of birds, the cockatoos. You can make your own small cockatoo joke here. I'm not going to. In any case, uh, they were, here's another thing that's very confusing. They said, we really want to be the wanderers and we're from the city of Valparaiso. They're actually not from Santiago proper. But there's already a team called the Valparaiso Wanderers. So let's name ourselves after a city that we're not really from and be the Santiago Wanderers. Why not just be the Valparaiso Cockatiels or you know, pick an animal that's actually endemic to your area? I don't know. In any case, uh, Valparaiso, as far as the city, if you're not familiar, is about 75 miles northwest of Santiago proper. It's one of the most important seaports historically in all of the South Pacific. Second biggest city in the country, about 800,000. They've won three league titles, but only one uh, within the last century, and that was right at the century mark, 2001. They've made three Copa Libertadores excuse me, three Copa Libertadores appearances historically. Uh, they advanced past the group stage in just one, and that was back in uh, 1969. 2008 was a year of more recent success. They made the third preliminary round. Uh, they've done a little bit better more recently in the Copa Sudamericana. Their best finish was in th- 2002. They made the quarterfinals. Last year, they finished in 11th place. This year, Good Lord Almighty, and I am not blaspheming. I am calling on the name of He Most Holy to witness this 5-4-20 and 20 record. Why? Because the next worst teams in terms of number of losses of this league, 13 losses. They're flirting with having twice as many. Worst offense, worst defense by lights, lots and lots, miles and miles. Their goal differential is almost three times as bad as the next worst club's GD. Just beyond beyond putrid. Uh, they're all around best player. Huh? Matias Marini is a central midfield, just 20 years old, uh, 21 years old, rather plenty of time for, you know, for him to find himself a better soccer home, two goals, five assists on the year. Uh, very good passer, very good tackler, not so good in open space. So he'll always probably have to be crammed in the middle, uh, playing that central position. Worst player for them also in goal, Mauricio Biana, only two clean sheets in 28 appearances. How you hang on to a starting role doing that is absolutely beyond me. The team's current form, it is as it ever was. They are 0-1-4 in their last five, have scored only once and given up eight goals. I suppose eight goals in five matches for them is pretty good. So this being the last match, 
We never wish these last two teams luck because what good would it do? But rather we send them off in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo. boo. And that's a wrap on episode 57 of Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. Like to thank a few folks. Thank you to the management for all of his editing and production wizardry. To Dan, my former Interno Inferno from the old Soccer Noob website, who still helps us and inspires us creatively. To my father. And to Matt Turner's Rebellion, who you can find at CAPT Matt Turner on Twitter. And to you for listening. Thank you so much. We know there's a lot of choices out there told you this was going to be unique, especially if this was your first time, for worse or hopefully better. If you found it the latter, we hope that you'll share us with your footy-minded friends. Until next episode, have yourself a fabulous footy week. Take care. (laughs) 